Alright, good morning everybody. Good morning. Man, I hope you're here and ready to worship the Lord. I know I look forward to, to Sunday every week and uh, here we are again and uh, good to see you. And um, before we get into things, just a couple of announcements. Uh, first off, uh, during COVID, the only service we're having is just the Sunday morning, 1030. But hopefully soon we'll be able to get back to our uh, some of our other Bible studies and things we're doing. Uh, but as always, always say, go to the church website, valleyviewchapel.net, and uh, there is a lot of information on there. You can continue tithing. The information's on there. You can give online or you can mail your check. There's Bible studies, um, videos of sermons, so there's plenty of information on there, uh, and you can visit that. And um, even though we're not having other services, you can do that uh, to continue Bible study and so on. Um, also, I uh, wanted to read something here real quick. Uh, we support Sunshine's Children's Center. It's in Lineport, Kentucky, um, down near, not too far off the West Virginia border. And uh, we've uh, supported that ministry for years. Uh, pastor Mary Bennett, Foursquare pastor down there. Um, she has uh, basically, she has a big home that she takes in those folks that um, the government or whoever doesn't take care of anymore. Some of them are disabled, they're all different ages, and so on. Uh, she's been doing this for many years. But we support her, and I just wanted to just kind of keep you in touch with her a little bit. I usually hang her notes up out here on the bulletin board, but I just thought I'd read this one to you in short, um, just so you can continue to keep her in your prayers. Happy New Year, hope and pray. Um, we will all see COVID in our rear view mirror in 2021. We had a heart, uh, a beautiful white Christmas got 12 inches of snow. The children built snowmen, snow castles, and snow angels, and had a real fun day. It snowed all day yesterday, but so cold and miserable. We are well, trust you are safe and healthy also. Thanks to everyone for a year of support. You've blessed us so much because of Christ, Mary Bennett. So um, just continue to pray for that ministry. It's what she does, is she's just such a beautiful person. And, uh, uh, she also pastors a small church there too um, and how she manages to take care of all these folks um, is just a miracle it's just nothing short of miraculous so anyway just continue to keep Sunshine Children's Center in your in your prayers um, and Mary Bennett alright I think that's all of the announcements we have so everyone could stand and uh, Pastor Chris is uh, uh, under the weather today um, so um, Jay and I are going to take over um, but let's just worship the Lord this morning. Thank you. 
you've got your hand on this nation, Lord God, and everything that we're going through right now. We don't know what you're up to. We have our best guess, but we know who you are. We know that you've got your hand on everything and everyone. We express that faith to you in Jesus' name. Thy will be done in this nation, especially in Washington, D.C. right now.
hard times. Trust comes hard, but that's when trust needs to come. He's worthy. Darrell was talking about Job this morning in Sunday school class. A lot of stuff hit home. You know, things we go through in our personal lives. Things your next door neighbor don't know. Pain you're going through, trials, and things, as I've said already, nationally. He's worthy. So he's been worthy of our praise, of honor, of trust.
You're the God above all gods. High above all gods, we sang. No one else above you. We just submit ourselves humbly before you this morning and we give you all our cares, all of our concerns, and we know, we know that our Redeemer lives and on this earth again will stand. That is such a great comfort. To know that we are not alone, God. We don't fight alone. In fact, we're just, we're in the ranks behind you. You go before us, you go behind us, and you hem us in on every side, your word says. What is man? What can he do to us? God, you're the one we need to focus on. We don't need to exploit you. We don't need to defend you. We just need to trust you and put our faith and our trust in you alone and keep our focus on you, God. That's what we want to do here today. We know you have a plan and we trust you for it. I trust that you would give us wisdom on a daily basis on how we are to respond to the people around us, to the world around us, and even to our to ourselves. Help us to be obedient children of God. God, thank you for this time in our worship where we can <clears throat> celebrate you by our, our tithes and our offerings and giving of ourselves, giving of our resources, but most of all, giving of our, our willingness, our heart. So bless the offering that we're about to receive. Use it to glorify you. Use it to further your kingdom and to perpetuate heaven here on earth as we bring it closer to the people that we interact with. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. Everybody with me? Amen. 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 Awesome. Great worship. Great worship. <clears throat> so every, ever since um, roughly March, when this whole COVID thing began, it took me a, a few weeks to get my spiritual bearings on this whole thing. And, you know, of course, we all don't have all the answers, and I'm, I'm not claiming to have all the answers. Um, but I do feel like God has um, really been speaking a, a lot to me and a lot to the church uh, at large and uh, about all the different things that we're seeing and all the different things that are going on uh, with this COVID. And, and then you add in, you know, all of our governmental things and political things and things like that. Um, and uh, so I've, I've been delivering messages to you that all revolve around that in some way. And it's like, you know, as a pastor or a teacher, you're, you know, you're, you're always trying to hit from different directions and, and, and hoping and praying that, you know, people understand and, you know, and their eyes were opened and they can go to the scriptures and let the Holy Spirit really show them um, the things that they need to see. And like I said, I don't claim to have all the answers, um, but I do know what the, some of the things the Lord has been showing me. And this message is kind of along that same line. And, and I'll continue on that line until the Lord just presses upon me to say, okay, you got it. Now let's move on. Um, so it's, it's uh, just been hitting at so many different directions. Um, and one of the things uh, that uh, the Lord has been showing me, um, and, and this I know, but this is really what we're really what we're seeing as as believers is um, a lot of what we're dealing with in this day and age is a spiritual battle. And I think probably most of you would agree there are physical battles we have to fight in the flesh, but ultimately what we see and what we deal with is more of a spiritual battle. We know that, that Satan has a, a, a limited reign on earth um, you know, for the purpose of really driving people to see truth, driving people to see the Lord and, and realize uh, who he is. Um, but um, at the same time, you know, it's, it's a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual battle. And the other thing that, that we know, but, but God's kind of bringing it into perspective here, is that you can't fight spiritual battles with physical weapons. You can't do that. It doesn't work. Um, and, and, and there are, like I said, there are physical battles that we have to fight, and, and we fight them with our physical weapons or whatever. But ultimately, spiritually speaking, it's, it's spiritual weapons that we have to use to fight spiritual battles. Right. And we have, this is, this is the awesome thing, is that we have access to every spiritual weapon we need to fight any spiritual force here on earth. And that's given to us through Jesus Christ. The, as I call it, we have the keys to the heavenly arsenal, to the heavenly gun cabinet or weapons depot or whatever it is. Um, <clears throat> And so I wanted to kind of drive this home uh, with this message and, and just kind of probably bring a completely different perspective than maybe you've, you've thought of or heard before. Um, 
But one of the reasons, one of the ways that we know that this is a spiritual battle, there's lots of ways we know this, but one of the ways we know this is most of the time, if fear is involved, it is a spiritual battle. Now, I'm not talking about the fear that's the fight or flight thing that keeps you alive. I'm talking about this deep emotional fear of what we see going on, going on around us and not sure what's going to happen. You know, and all of us know people that are afraid. And I don't mean just concerned. I mean really, really afraid. And um, so there's a good indication right there because that is one of the tools that the enemy uses, you know, um, uh, to, to infiltrate the believer's mind is fear. It's fear. That is a spiritual battle. So the other thing I wanted to tell you is that what we're going through today might look a little different than the past, but it's not new. Ecclesiastes reassures us of that. Solomon tells us that there is nothing new under the sun. Right? Did you use that this morning or something? You say that this morning. Yeah, see? See? That's so true. It's so true. Um, it might look different. Sure, it looks different. But ultimately, it's not new. And I want to show that to you. And I want to show you how Jesus responded to that very situation. So here's a brief synopsis, history lesson, of what it was like right before and during or when Jesus came to earth. Now, this isn't all-inclusive. I mean, you can research it out yourself. But this is just a, a little synopsis. So there were several rulers named Herod, you know, Herod and they had sons and so on. So Herod came into rule of Galilee, over Galilee, when he was 25 years old. He was set on removing people he called robbers, but were in reality a resistance movement against the Roman government. His father, uh, Antipater, was the ruler of Palestine, and in 43 BC he was poisoned. Herod retained power and soon became a tetrarch. So... In 40 BC, the Parthians invaded the land and Herod was able to escape. Judea now came under another rule. Herod wanted to rule so bad that he sought the help of the Roman government. He persuaded the Roman government to make him king of Judea, despite the fact that he had no real claim to the throne and he had no army behind him. Because of the Roman desire to see the Parthians eradicated, the Roman Senate supported Herod with some troops because of his dislike of them. With assistance from, other, uh, from others that Herod recruited, he subdued about all the country by 37 BC. More Roman aid was given to Herod, and he was able to overtake Jerusalem. Herod was a tyrant. He had multiple people executed, including his wife, so no one else could take power from him. He died just after, this particular Herod died just after Jesus was born. In his will, Herod divided his kingdom among his three sons, each named Herod, Herod something, leaving Herod Antipas ruler over Galilee, and that's the Herod that we also hear of in, the, in Scripture. While Jews were allowed certain religious privileges under Roman rule, Judaism and Christianity were not looked well upon by the Roman government and the people. The religions that Rome had the most problems with were monotheistic. In other words, religions with just one god and not many. The Romans had many gods. Uh, <clears throat> because these religions believed there was just one god, they prohibited worshiping other gods. Their members refused to make offerings to Roman gods or to take part in Roman religious festivals, 
which Rome considered a matter of showing loyalty. These religions tested Roman tolerance. Much of the time, Roman-Jewish relationships at the time of Jesus remained peaceful. However, the Romans couldn't stand the Jewish and Christian way of life and held their religious permissions over their heads. In other words, they were given a, a permission to, Judaism was, to practice their beliefs, mainly because they had helped Pilate beforehand and it was kind of a favor return. But they did not, the Romans did not like their religious beliefs. They did not like them practicing what they did, but they left them alone to a point. So um, tension was always building between Romans and the Jews and eventually the Christians, resulting in the first Jewish war in 66 AD, long you know, after Christ. So we have this situation, and there's certainly a lot more to that whole story, but we have this situation going on. And as I was reading through this, I'm thinking there's a lot of similarities to what we see now. A lot of similarities. Let me um, pick a, a couple of them out. First off, they did not think Herod or his son had any rightful place as ruler. They, they didn't. Uh, he kind of barged his way in there. You know, and convinced the Roman Senate to put him in charge, and he, he rid the place of the uh, Parthians. So he did not think he had any, any rightful place as a ruler. So this is, a, this is a, a, a contention for the seat of ruler, and that kind of something what we're dealing with now. Herod could be ruthless when he felt, felt threatened or didn't get his way. Sometimes we see, we're seeing things in the world and our government, well, we, this might be our viewpoint on some of the things that are going on and happening. Although allowed to practice their faith, Romans <clears throat> excuse me, held a tight rein on the Jewish people and later Christian people. Held a tight rein on them. In other words, they were allowed to practice, but they held that over their head. And any minute, you know, the, the Jewish people felt that that could be a jeopardy. They could pull that out from under. Does that sound like something we're dealing with today? Very, very much does. Very much does. Um... There were pockets of persecution where Herod reminded the Jews who was, who was in charge. So he liked to make sure uh, everybody knew who was the boss and, and you know, where they got their uh, ability to have their, their freedoms and that kind of thing. So he was always hanging that over their head. He was uh, fairly ruthless. Jews felt threatened because their religion was favored in the land and they felt like it could be taken from them at any time. And intolerance was always building between the Jews and Romans and eventually the Christians and the Romans. And Jesus was born somewhere between 2 and 7 B.C. as all of this stuff was starting to really, really fester. And as I said, in 66 A.D., that's when the, the Jewish war began and all that, was, which was much later. So there was a lot of tension, political tension in the land. Now, we have to also add into there was a lot of spiritual issues going on, too, because remember that uh, there were several hundred years, and that's debatable with theologians, but there were several hundred years uh, between the last time God spoke through a prophet in the Old Testament and John the Baptist. And so the, the people really had not heard from God like they were used to hearing from God before. And so, you know, they, the prophets weren't really speaking as, as much. And so there were a lot of people, a lot of Jewish people that um, didn't have really good direction. They still had their scriptures, but, but they didn't have that direction that they had before. And so many of them were lost, uh, spiritually speaking. Many of them were living in sin, and many of them were oppressed by evil. 
as, as we could see when Jesus came and began to deliver demons and so on and so forth. So we see that that was, that was what was going on. So when Jesus enters the scene between 2 and 7 BC, this is what he's walking into. And he knows it, but this is what he's walking into. He's walking into a state of, of I don't want to say complete chaos, but a lot of contention, a lot of worry, a lot of fear. There were a lot of Jewish people who feared the Romans you know, and, and so on, because they had to pay taxes to them. There's a lot, there was a lot there. And so it's not unlike what would happen if Jesus were to come to America today. It would maybe look a little different in some aspects, but ultimately, these are the same things that happened before. And not just, you know, it's not just the fact that you and I are here on this earth to live with these things and deal with these things and know how to navigate them, but Jesus... God, the part of the Trinity, came to earth right at that time. And so one of the questions I had been really just praying about and asking God was, you know, what would Jesus do, right? What would Jesus do? And it was like the Holy Spirit began to speak to me. Jesus already did. So let's go find out what he did. And so Jesus came right at this time, right at this time. So I began looking through scripture, and I have quite a few scriptures for you today, and I suggested, you know, write them down, go home, read them, pray, don't take my word, just really trust the Holy Spirit to confirm things and to really show you. But I wanted to know, how did Jesus handle that time? What did he do? You know, because in there, in that, in, in his reaction to these things, there's some truths that I believe that we should be living and pulling out of that today. So we as believers, as followers of Christ, as being Christ-like, should be following in his steps the best that we can. And so let's look at this. <clears throat> Old, Testament, um, Old Testament prophets told of a Messiah who would deliver them. All their hope was in escaping poverty, being free of Roman oppression, and living in peace. This is what people were looking for as Jesus came. This is what they were looking for. The, the ones, the, the scribes, the ones that were, the new scripture that, that went to the temple to hear the scripture read, this is one of the things that they read often was about Messiah. Was a, a lot of the Old Testament scriptures referred to him, that he was going to come and he was going to deliver them. And so, so many were looking for him to deliver them out of this position they were in. Not just their spiritual position, but, but their political situation, the, the rule that they were under. This is what they were looking for. They thought the kingdom of God would be the new world order and all nations would bow to it. They thought that he was going to come and just take over everything and that he would be the ruler and he would be the leader. Look at Psalm 103, 19. It says, The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. These are some of the words that they had access to. These are some of the things that they read. This is some of the things that was being um, poured into their minds, and different people were taken in different ways. Luke 17, 20, 21. I know this is uh, scripture, but um, this kind of gives a, a, a light to it. Now, when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, because see, this was always talked about the kingdom of God, the kingdom. Wait till Jesus, wait till God's kingdom comes. Wait till the Messiah comes. He's gonna, he's gonna take over all of this, and and everything's gonna be good. He's gonna dethrone all these rulers, and, and we're not going to have to live under tyranny. We're just going to we'll live under peace. This is what the people were looking for at the time. 
And, and when he was asked by the Pharisees when his kingdom would come, Jesus answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, See here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. So the people, the Pharisees and otherwise, because the Pharisees taught the people these things, so they are looking for, for a new kingdom to overthrow the existing kingdom. I hope you guys see how much this is like what we see today. I hope you see that because that's, this is where the truth is. And so they're, they're looking for a new kingdom to come, a new ruler to dethrone the old rulers and their old way of ruling and all that. And everything's going to be new and nice and wonderful. And then on top of that, John and Jesus both came preaching the same message. The very first thing they started preaching the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Both of them started preaching the same message. The kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, the kingdom of God is near. It's right here. This is what they came preaching. So John, as the wild man as he would consider, you know, as he came preaching and baptizing, this is what he said. The kingdom of heaven is here. So in other words, he was that megaphone ahead of Jesus for all the people to say, look, that kingdom that you were looking for, it's coming. It's right here. So a lot of the people began to pour over to him and, and, and let him baptize them and all that because he was telling them exactly what they were longing to hear, that the kingdom is coming. Finally, God will take over. But as we just read in Luke 17, 20, when Jesus came, Jesus tried to under, make them understand that the kingdom of God does not come with observation. In other words, it's not going to be a rule that's going to take over everything that you see like you think it is. They, um, nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. This is why it was so hard for the people to understand a lot of what Jesus was teaching. Because they were looking for a physical overtaking of the land, of Roman rule and all that. They were looking for something physical to happen. But Jesus came and he was like, no, this is a spiritual thing. And so many of them did not understand that. They didn't get that. So John and Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God is at hand. And it meant something different to the Romans than it did to the Jews. Because the Romans heard the message as well. And to the Romans, it meant the Jews were going to attempt to overthrow him. That kingdom that they've been talking about so for so long that was going to come and take over all the land, now the Romans were a little bit threatened. Romans were a little bit threatened now because now these people, this sect of believers uh, in this Messiah, you know, now they're going, to, they're going to try to take us over. So what's that do to Roman impression? It, it builds it up. It continues to build it. But to the Jews, it meant the new Messiah. This new king would somehow overthrow the Roman government and free them from their oppressors. So these are the two viewpoints that they had. And they began to really create a lot of friction in the land. And Jesus continued to preach his message in Matthew 4, 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he started preaching this message. But then a few verses down in, in, in uh, Matthew 4, 23, he started really getting into why he was there. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. 
So now he's starting to dig in a little bit and trying to get the people to understand, look, I have come. Repent because God's kingdom is right here. It's near. It's close. It's coming. But he takes it deeper. He's, it's not just about the land that you see and the rule that, you un, that you're under. It's about the gospel of the kingdom. What's gospel mean? Good news. It's about the good news of the kingdom of God. In other words, that you have been, uh, Jesus has come to deliver you, to deliver you, to, to free you from the burden of your sin so that you might have eternal life through him. So this is, this is the gospel of the kingdom. This is the good news. And as Jesus began to preach the good news, it began to sift, if you will, the people, the Jewish people. It began to sift them. Some of them were, were not getting. See, you heard Jesus say many times, you saw him say uh, through scripture, those that have ears to hear. See, some people didn't get it. Some people were so fixated on the physical aspect of God coming to bring a new kingdom into the to new rule into Rome, into the land. And they were so fixated on that that they didn't understand the spiritual aspect. And there, and there were some that finally got it. There were some that began to follow him because they figured, even if they couldn't quite put their thumb on it, they, they were like, well, this, there's more than just what I'm thinking. There's so much more to this because of the words that he's teaching and preaching. This is why so many of them were mesmerized by what he preached. Because they were expecting him to preach to tell them how they could join him and physically overthrow the Roman government. And so they were figuring that, okay, we're going to get in a huddle here and he's going to tell us how we're going to attack. He's going to tell us how we're going to do this. But Jesus stood on the mountain. He stood on the mountain and began to teach them. Teach them things that they had never heard before. Because it's not about the physical rule, but it's about the spiritual side. It's about our souls. It's about our heart. It's about salvation. And this is what Jesus began to teach. This is what he began to teach. The Jews had an expectation of freedom, and the Romans were concerned about losing the rule over the land. But Jesus begins talking about the sick, the, tor <clears throat> the tormented. <clears throat> the sinful. He talked about how they could be healed, how they could be freed, how they could be forgiven. And the people were thinking, what kind of deliverance is this? What kind of deliverance is this? But I can tell you, for those that were sick, those that were in bondage, and those that were sinners, they heard the message. They heard the message of forgiveness. <clears throat> Jesus brought his message home with the scripture in Matthew 16, 25. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it a man to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? That last one right there, that one we need to think about. What will a man give in exchange for his soul? In other words, Jesus is trying to tell them in so many words that your government is not your answer. Your government is not your answer for freedom. It's not your answer for salvation. It does not have the answer for eternal life. But that's what they were looking for. That's what they were looking for. With this scripture, Jesus revealed the priority for those that would follow him. Your eternal soul is worth more than your physical place on earth. This is not the deliverance everyone expected to hear, but it is the deliverance that everyone needed. 
So what was Jesus' rule view of the Roman government? Everybody still with me? Yeah. All right. What did he think? Now let's just, I'm just picking a few things out here. I am, this is no intention to be political and favor any sides. I'm just telling you, preaching the Bible to you this morning. What did he think about Roman taxes? We love taxes, right? We write the IRS thank you cards every year. We, you know, right? All right. So what did he think about Roman taxes in Mark 12, starting verse 13? Then they sent to him some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to catch him in his words. When they had come, they said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and care about no one, for you do not regard the person of, uh, person of men, but teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Shall we pay or shall we not pay? But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said to them, Why do you test me? Bring me a denarius that I may see it. So they brought it, and he said to them, Whose image and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus answered and said to them, Render to Caesar's the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God. And they marveled at him. I just thought, you know, I could just picture Jesus there and just shut them all up with that statement. How powerful is that? It's theirs. It's his, his pictures on it. It's his. But Jesus is sending a message to them. Not, the, not that money doesn't have a significance in our life or our survival at the moment, but what he's telling them is, look, if the government asks for taxes, give them taxes. Jesus himself says, look, I take care of the birds of the air. I give them clothes. I clothe them. I take care of them. I feed them. You know, how much more? Well, I take care of you, who I created to be in eternity with me. And that's what Jesus is trying to tell them. Look, your focus needs to be more than what your government is doing for you or not doing for you. This is That's what he's telling them. What did Jesus think about Roman leadership? In John 19, starting in verse 10. Then Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and the power to release you? This is when Jesus was in front of Pilate. And, and Pilate's you know, telling him, Look, I have this power over you where you live or you die. This is Pilate. This is, this is a guy who you know, thinks he's some sort of a, a God figure probably and a, and a leader. And he's telling Jesus, I've got power over you. I can make you live or I can make you die. And Jesus answered and said, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. Well, right there, Jesus disarmed him and told him what the truth really was. In other words, he was in power because God allowed him to be in power. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. This is an extremely powerful scripture to really pray on and think about and to consider. He says, therefore, the one who delivered me to you, which is Judas, has the greater sin. So, in other words, there's sin involved in this little communication. And he's saying that the power that Pilate had was given to him by God. But the action that Judas took against Jesus was Judas' own choice. And therefore, it resulted in sin. And so therefore, obviously, sin is not from God. But his, by Pilate's place was from God. Now, Pilate had decisions to make just like everybody else. But the position of power 
he says, it's from God. Romans 13, verse 1. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do you do what is good, and you will have praise from the same? For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger um, to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to, to whom fear, honor to whom honor. So now Jesus is telling us, <clears throat> now we can look at this a lot of different ways. Uh, I personally am saying that if anybody, anybody ever asked you to live against your beliefs in the scriptures, I believe God is telling us you live, you live the convictions that God gives you in the word of God. Um, but as far as uh, of respecting rulers, <clears throat> excuse me, praying for them and, you know, whether we agree with them or not, we're told to pray for our leaders, pray for our rulers. We need to do that. But let's look at what Jesus is really saying here, because you got to remember the time, what was going on that all that I read you in the beginning. So Jesus is telling them that the rebellion, that rebellion in general, because there were rebellious groups at the time that were against the Roman Roman government. Uh, and they were little sects of people that were trying to gain force, gain popularity, so they could come against the Roman government. Um, so Jesus is telling us that rebellion goes against his mission in the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God. And by rebellion, I mean mounting a force against what God has established. If people resist and rebel against leaders, now I'm not saying... Um, Disagree with them. I'm not saying, you know, uh, if, if we don't agree with what they're telling us, it goes against our convictions. I believe we have to obey the word of God above all. Um, but they become unable to do God's work. They can't serve God and do what he's called them to do if they're in jail. Now, persecution is another story. This is not persecution. This is people choosing to rebel against what God has established. This in no way means we are supposed to be silent. We should take our place in the nation and express our viewpoints in the ways that God and the avenues that God has given us to do that. We should also defend ourselves as, as, as we need to. But Jesus did not respond to the Roman government by forming a rebellion. He didn't come to earth like everybody wanted him to and form an army to go against the Roman government and all that was going on. He didn't do that. He did not respond by rallying a bunch of people and, and talking bad, you know, bad stuff against the government and, and, and specific rulers. He did not respond by condemning it. I'm not saying he agreed with it all, but he didn't come outwardly speaking all this stuff, uh, all this, what, what word do we use these days, smack against the, the Roman government. He didn't do that. His goal was the spiritual Kingdom. His goal was an inward change in the people. His goal was salvation. He responded by showing people God's kingdom. That's what Jesus did. 
That is one of the most awesome responses to political up, upheaval and all that stuff. Jesus comes, and instead of, of, of inciting and rebelling and just going all against the Roman government to, to make the people happy, what Jesus did is he came and he showed the people his kingdom. He showed them. He gave them an example of a kingdom. And he even said, my kingdom is not of this world. He even said that. But he came and he brought parts of the kingdom of God to earth so people could actually see it. So instead of rising up against in, in what we would call physical battle and physical war, Jesus came and said, no, let me just... Let me show you my kingdom. Let me let you see it. This is what God has in store for eternity. This, this rule that you're fighting, this Roman rule that you're fighting is temporary. But this kingdom that I'm showing you is eternal. And it's for all those who choose to believe. It's about salvation. It's about salvation. He wanted people to be right with God through belief, by believing in Him and allowing God to show them His will. What should believers do today when they feel like a government can't be trusted or when they feel like their freedoms are being taken away or their ability to practice their faith is taken away or just simply you feel like a government is coming against you? My response is do what Jesus did. He lived the truth, and he wasn't afraid to state the truth. He knew the truth. Sometimes I think um, there's a lot of people that believe they're stating the truth, but, but they're not really stating it as the Scripture says. So I think really we have to be in our word. We have to know what God says. But live the truth and state the truth. Free the souls of the people. I know that's God, that's what Jesus does, Holy Spirit does. But he, he wants us to go out and to initiate these things. And he wants to work through us. Free the souls of the people. That's what Jesus did. They were in such bondage. That he, but he came to free them. Not so much as being under the Romans. But spiritually. From going to hell. Heal the sick. Pray for them. Deliver those who are in bondage. Prepare people for eternity. Jesus was not distracted by what the Romans were doing. This is one of the things that when you look back and you read the Gospels and you wonder how Jesus interacted and dealt with all of what people were fearing and, and dealing with in the physical, he was not distracted by any of it. He stayed on point. He continued his mission even though he knew what was going to happen to him because he was going to allow himself to be subjected to that rule and the rule of his own people. And, and he was never distracted. He was more interest, interested in the broken lives and the broken hearts and getting them healed and right with God. He was more concerned about the tormented and about the loss than he was of what the government was doing. Now, I'm not saying God didn't have a, 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 you know, a hand in the government and all that stuff. Sure, sure he does. He knows what's going on. But my point is this. God is very much interested in our spiritual 
as, this, that spiritual aspect of us. What is happening in our lives? Are, are we going to be in eternity with him? All the people in the world that have the opportunity to know Jesus. You know, I've been saying this and, and I've heard other people say um, something similar. But all of this that's going on, you know, and, and you have to bear with me in, in understanding this. But um, all this COVID stuff, it's not about COVID. It's not about a virus. It's about salvation. That's exactly what it's about. God might be using it. I don't think he did it, but he might be using it to hopefully uh, get the attention of people and bring them to the understanding that he is the great deliverer, that he is in control, that he's sovereign, that he's over all, and, and, and hopefully find Jesus and live that life of salvation. You know, that's, that's the goal. That's the goal. I believe, and this is something else that God was showing me back in March and April, was I believe COVID was, was, is, is, another, is also used by God to say, okay, church, all right, church, I've got everybody in a holding pattern over here. This is, this is, this is what God would be saying. I've got everybody in a holding pattern over here. All the people that are uncertain, they don't know about me, they're not sure what they believe and all this. Well, I'm allowing Satan to, to, to do his thing for a little while, just like Job talked about this morning. Um, but, Jesus, but God's saying, I've got them all over here spiritually and mentally in this holding pattern of fear. Now, I've got them all grouped together. Now, church, you, got, you go and talk to them. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Hey, church, now it's time for you to go do your thing. And show them Jesus. Show them the opposite of fear. Show them uh, faith. Give them the message of hope. Share the word of God with them. Let them see the light. And, and I, that's one of the pictures I have is like, you know, this, this God's just putting them over here. You stay in this room for a little while. Uh, and as long as you're there until this, until this illness is gone, church, go get them. Amen. Sick them. Because maybe the church hasn't been so successful in the past going out and preaching the gospel because the church was so occupied with so many other things, distracted by so many other things, that they weren't doing what they were supposed to do. And I think every now and then God comes on scene and he says, okay, church, look, you're just not doing it the way you should. Let me give you a hand. I'm going to gather everybody up so you can go get them. And I think that's exactly what's going on with COVID. Is the church doing what they're supposed to? I don't know. As a whole, it's a, it's a big place, it's a big country, it's a big world. But I believe there's an opportunity for the church. And I believe we better be on it. Not that we're going to go out and save everybody. Savings, the Holy Spirit's role. It's our role just to be obedient and just to do what he's called us to do. And share that light. And let the Holy Spirit do his work. I believe that's what's going on. <clears throat> Live the truth and state the truth. Free the souls of the people. Heal the sick. Deliver those in bondage. Prepare those for eternity. And not be distracted by what the Romans are doing. Not to be distracted. I'm not saying don't use your voice. I'm not saying don't be concerned. I'm not saying don't pray. What I am saying is don't be distracted. Don't let your head, your heart be turned away from God. If Satan harms your arm, you still have your mind. If he harms your legs, 
you still have your mind. If he harms different parts of your body, you still have your mind. But once he gets into your head, he's got your whole body. Fear is his way in. And that's exactly what we see going on. With COVID, with government, with politics, with all that, we see that. Fear, 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 fear. There is no reason, and I understand some of us do fear, and I know that's things, those are things we need to work on with us, between us and God. But there's no reason in this world that a believer needs to fear anything that's happening to the point where it wrecks their lives or, or changes their lives or interferes with their normal everyday functions. There's no reason a believer needs to fear anything that's happening in this world. Because whatever happens to us is good. Amen. Whatever happens to us is good. So in the end of all of this, we've got one up on COVID. We've got one up on our government and political situations. We've got one up on the world's events. We've got one up on Satan's um, plans to destroy us and to and intervene in our lives. We've got one up on anything and everything that will come against us in this world, physical or spiritual. We've got one on, up on it, and the, and the reality is, is we know how it ends. We know how it ends. God wins. His people win. His people, those followers of Jesus, spend eternity with Him. We win. Everybody wins. Everybody with God wins. We know what happens. And so by knowing that, that means no one, nothing, spiritual or otherwise, can take that from us. We win. God wins. The church's role is always, always to make disciples. That's the commission. Disciple is a learner. It's a follower. It's a student. That is the church's role, is to make disciples of all kinds of people, of every walk of life, to make disciples. Well, that means we might have to tolerate some walks of life we don't like. That means we might have to converse, have conversations with people we don't agree with. That means we might have to have talks with people about the gospel, about Jesus, about God, that don't share our political views. There, there are going to be people that we have to encounter that we may not like from a, from a more moral standpoint. But if we're going to do what God told us to do and make disciples, share the light of Jesus, share the love of Jesus. If we're going to do that, we're going to have to go places we've never been, do things we've never done, and talk and be with people that we wouldn't normally be with. We're going to have to do all those things because that's our mission. That's what God has called us to do. And not only that, but for the, for the moment, he's got them all corralled up. Just waiting on us to go. Waiting on us to talk to them and speak to them. God wins. God, the church's role is to make disciples. And this is God's will. So you might say, 
legitimately. What about our religious freedoms? Shouldn't we fight for them? What about our rights? Shouldn't we fight for them? What about the fall of our nation? We should fight for our religious freedoms. I didn't say rebel, but fight, which means we should stand. We sh our voices should be heard. But not to mount a rebellion, not to, you know, to go that route. Because what message of love does that send? Because Jesus told us to love our enemies, right? Which, if that's the worst person in the world to us, then everybody else should be under that. So we're supposed to be loving and praying for people. You know, and if this is what Jesus has told us to do, then mounting a rebellion, a forceful rebellion to go and overtake and, and fight and war and all that stuff, that's not under God's direction or will to do. The way I read Scripture anyway. But we should voice. We should stand. I think one of the greatest things we can do is have the integrity of the gospel with us at all times. And by that I mean, what's the... What's the uh, definition of integrity? What you do when nobody's looking. Mm -hmm. If every believer is living like Jesus has directed and called and made a way for us to live, then how we live that life is one of the... And that means everything we say, do, feel, all that, the whole package. If we live the best we know how, not perfectly, but the best we know how as believers, according to Jesus and His direction. If we live that way, that will be one of the big, that'll probably be the biggest testimony, the biggest witness we can ever give the world. But when we have believers who, who are doing things that are not what God would have us do, what messages are we sending about Jesus? What message are the people getting about the gospel? You know, and I know a lot of times this comes from people that, Christians that, that probably, that may not really be Christians that think they are or whatever. But what message are we sending if we're, if we're not, you know, loving, but stating, stating our, our, stating our truth, the truth, the convictions that we have according to the Word of God? The, ch the church's role is to make disciples. This is God's will. History, especially the Old Testament. Now, this is where... It, this is, brings in the whole physical aspect of this. I've been talking a lot spiritual. This, this is where the physical and the spiritual come together with God. So what about our religious freedom? What about our rights? What about those things? History, especially the Old Testament, shows us that when the church, the body of Christ, the protected ones, the preserved ones, operate in the will of God, He always takes care of them. Amen. When the church blesses God, he blesses them. Amen. That's where the physical comes back around. That's where it always comes back around. If we as a church are faithful to God and are doing our best to live according to His will, if we are doing that and, 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 and you know pleasing Him in that sense, He is going to bless the church. He is going to bless the nation whose God is the Lord. He will do that. He said he, he, he has said he will, and in the past he has, and he will continue to do so. You know, so he will bless the church. That's the physical aspect. If if a government's doing things you don't like and you're voicing your opinion and all that, you know, trust God because if you're faithful to him and you're doing what you're supposed to be doing as a believer, and that is doing what Jesus did and those things I just listed to you, then God is going to take care of you. 
Look, I'll prove it. You're here today. You're here today. That's how I prove it. Um, God's taking care of your family. You know, uh, I've been in, in ministry, um, well, at this specific church for going 15 years. And, and that's a very long time. And, and uh, one of the things that I prayed and one of the things that God spoke into my life was that he was going to take care of my family. And he has. He has brought finances where I didn't think they would come from. He has done, I, I could just, the miracles just go on and on and on. My wife and I could share with you sometime. It is just incredible. Not that I'm anybody, but simply I obeyed a call. And he made me a promise that he would take care of my family. And he has in my life. And I know all of you have experienced similar things in your life too. That's how I know. That's how we can have faith in God's word. That he says that he will never leave us nor forsake us. He blesses those that are in his will. And if you're in his will, he is blessing your life. He is taking care of you. He has provided jobs where there seemed to be no job. And not only that, he, is, he has uh, um, planned and laid out for you jobs that you never ever expected of, of seeing with benefits you never ever thought you had would have. He's done these miraculous things because he blesses you because you're obedient. Now, you're nothing special. I mean, different than anybody else. We're all special to God. He's not a respecter of persons, but he sees your heart and your obedience to him, and he blesses you. So my point is, no matter what a government or a rule does, God is still faithful. Amen. He's still faithful. He does not want us to be distracted. Always thumbing through Facebook to see what the latest word is on our political statement. Or listen, you know, uh, uh, looking at COVID numbers every day. And when's it going to get me? When's it going to get me? He does not want us to be distracted from all those things. Be smart. Be wise. Because he's given us those things. But at the same time, don't be distracted. We have a mission that God has given us, and we need to follow that mission. The church must be together on the same page, and I mean the church as a whole. This is also part of our mission, unity. We must find and promote unity within the body of Christ, from church to church, from denomination to denomination. And this might be in our conversations and our families and those types of things. It's not time to start picking out things that we don't agree on and, and all that. Look, if it's Jesus, if it's salvation, run with it for right now. Because those people that are being held up in that corral, they're not going to be in that corral forever. You know, eventually this thing will, will, for the most part, pass or whatever. Maybe something else will come or whatever. But this is the time that we have now. And this is what God has allowed to be in front of us. And it's up to us to make that decision. Satan sees that corral of people. And he knows that God's up to something because it's happened before. You know, it's happened before. Remember the exile? It's happened before. And so Satan sees all these people in this corral. And he's like, oh, no, no, God, I know what you're doing. So it's time for me to turn on the fear. It's time for me to, and all my uh, little cronies to, to go about and start inducing fear in people's lives. Let's mess with them. Let's mess with the media. Let's mess with the news. Let's mess with uh, social media. Let's get everybody in a, in a fear frenzy, so much so, all these Christians that they're expecting God to deliver them 
him, and they're not, he's not going to deliver him like they thought. You know, he's trying to deliver spiritually, and they think he's, he's going to come and deliver their land physically, which he can and, and will do in its time. But Satan's looking at him and saying, this is a perfect opportunity for me to induce fear into God's people. He knows what's happening. So what do we do? Do what Jesus did. Live your life as you are a believer. I say this from time to time, and I also work on practicing it myself. Um, when I preach to you, I'm preaching to me too, just so you know. But one of the things we need to do as believers is live like we are believers. Live like our home is in that kingdom. Live like, you know, uh, we, we're happy. Live like we have this joy. The scripture says it is our strength. It is our strength, not just for us, but for other people too. When you walk in a room and you've got your Jesus on, as some people say, you've got the joy of the Lord on you, you walk into a room, it changes the room. It's power. That's power in your joy. You know, don't be so down and, and don't jump on the down and negative bandwagons. Look, people that don't understand what I'm telling you today will be sad. They will be negative. These are truth. These are mysteries of the kingdom of God that I'm explaining to you today that the Lord has shown us. And not every believer and not every person is going to get it. They are going to be negative. Some will live in fear. Some, uh, you know, they'll be... Um, what a Debbie Downer or whatever you call it, every time they see uh, and hear about things going on in our government and COVID numbers are going up or whatever, whatever, whatever. But we don't need to follow suit. We can see this opportunity. We can see this opportunity that God has given us. What an opportunity to be able to share him with other people and what they're going through. And so we don't have to act that way. We can be joyful. I'm not saying don't be compassionate. Sure, be, please be compassionate. But we don't have to let this overtake us to the point when people see us, we're just, you know, when, when people look at a Christian living like this, they're thinking, why would I be a Christian? I can do that all the time. But yet, when we live in the joy through adversity, ah, that's another story. Altogether, people are saying, huh, he's happy. She's happy. I want, what a, I want some of what she's taking, which is Jesus. Hmm. Live your life as you are a warrior for the kingdom of God. This means standing against the devil and his devices and using the arsenal God has given us access to. Church, I tell you, I don't mean to tell you, but I'll tell you anyway, pray. Pray. And on top of that, take the time. Please take the time to ask the Holy Spirit specifically what he would have you pray. Be specific. Be specific. Ask him. And he'll tell you. Yeah. Pray. Pray for the believers that are living in fear. Pray for revelation. Pray for those that are sick. That, they, that there would be an opportunity for, for believers to come in and show them Jesus. Pray for the nation. Pray for our political situation. You know, pray that God's will be done and, and that the forces of darkness won't continue to pull the wool over anybody's eyes, but the truth would be exposed and it would be what it is. Pray those types of things. Pray those things. Ask the Holy Spirit. 
Speak the Bible to your nation. Whether you recite it or whether you just tell them what it says, but speak the Bible to your nation, to your friends, to your family, to your community. Live like Jesus and free people by pointing them to him. So we have a big task on our hands. And it's been here since, what, March, February, March, whenever we realized all this was going on. And it's just been uh, elevated because of our political climate and all that kind of thing. But I don't want us to miss what God's doing because we've been distracted about what Satan's doing. So let us stay focused on God, on his word, and how we're living. Now is the time. I mean, it's just we need to look at our own lives to make sure that we are living as believers. We are being Christ-like, you know, and that we're not falling into these distractions and letting them be, you know, rule over us. That when people look at us, they can trust that the face that they see is a face that's been touched by God. A heart that has been, that has been mended by Jesus. You know, in a power that's been given by the Holy Spirit. Let them see that when they see you. Instead of seeing what they see in everybody else. Fear, confusion, whatever, whatever, whatever. But let them see truth in you. Now I ask everybody to close your eyes here as I, I'll finish up here in just a second. I just want us to take a, a, couple, mo a couple minutes and... Uh, uh, just to, between you and God, I mean, you can do this anytime, anywhere, but you know, while we have a couple minutes here, I'd just like us to do this and just take a minute and talk to God, um, you know, about, uh, about your thoughts on our situation and your thoughts of, of what God's calling us to do. And, and uh, you know, if, if there's people that you've uh, condemned in your own mind, if there's people that you've really judged uh, through all these things, and um, maybe you have had moments in your life where you were distracted and, and you, and you kind of let that take precedence for a little while. Um, let's just take a few moments and talk to God and just, just between you and him, just kind of share that with him and, and you know, ask him for direction and, and forgiveness if you feel you need to. Um, but pray about those distractions and if you've allowed anything to get in your way. And if you have, it, it, it doesn't mean you're a bad person. It means you're human um, and, you're, and you're doing your best to walk this walk that God has given you. But you just kind of maybe took a, a little left turn for a little bit. So it, it, it's, it's not the end of the world. Um, but, but be honest with God about it. Um, pray about those distractions if they have turned your head and, and caused you to live in, in, in a way you shouldn't or act like a way you shouldn't. And then, and then just ask God, God, help me to stay the course. Help me to, to not be distracted, but to find my life in, in you, in all that I am and all that I do. So just take a few minutes there, and then I'll pray, and then we'll, we'll close up.
God, you know our hearts, Lord. God, I believe with all my heart that everybody within the sound of my voice, Lord, wants to do the right thing, to live the right way, as you have called us to do. Lord, I, I believe that. And God, I pray by your Holy Spirit that, that you would continue to reveal to each one of us in our own lives, in our own specific ways, what we may need to do in our lives. What changes in our thinking may need to happen. What actions in our life that maybe we need to start taking. All those things, Lord God, that would cause us to line up with your will. Lord, by your Spirit, show us those things. Show us those things. Lord, give us boldness where we need it. But Lord, let us have compassion where we need it as well. God, this is not an easy balance because it's against the world's ways. But because of your spirit and the washing of the water of your word, you direct us and guide us into those places that we wouldn't be able to go on our own. So God, I just pray that we all hear that direction that we all heed that direction. And Lord, that we walk the way you've called us to walk. Lord, this is how the world has changed from the inside out. And the only way to be inside, Lord, is really to know you. And so I pray, Lord, for the church as a whole, all across America and all, the parts, all across the world, Lord, that we can see the moment that's before our eyes. And that we can act in a way, Lord God, that causes people to look and wonder. Causes people to be amazed. Causes people to answer a call to come to Jesus. Let that be your church, Lord. Lord, I pray against the distractions. We know what the enemy is doing. It's very clear we know. Help us not to fall prey to that as a church, but to stand strong. Help us to have compassion when it's needed, but truth and love when it's needed as well. Lord, you are doing a great thing, and we are here to see it. We may not understand it all, and there's more to come. But God, help us to be a part of it. Help us to be a part of your plan and changing the world, and filling eternity, filling the kingdom with folks just like the rest of us. Let us be able to play a part, God. Give us your direction, your power, your spirit to be able to make these things true. So Lord, I thank you for each person here that's within the sound of my voice, Lord. Blessings to each one, Lord God, as we leave. And I pray, Lord, that your word continue to come to life within each and every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. amen.